pages of his book, Word-Centered Church, Jonathan Lehman shares this exercise. Picture in your mind some church that you've known. Now for a moment, take away the programs, the nursery, the parking lot, the musical instruments, the bulletins, even the building. Take everything away but the people, the church themselves. Imagine all of the members of said church standing in a field. Do you have that picture? What would you say is needed to grow that church? Think about it. If you're a note taker, maybe even jot your answers down. What is needed to grow that church both in number, also in spiritual depth? What are the things that we must have? Surely we must have some water for baptizing. We must have some elements for the Lord's Supper. Those things constitute what it means necessarily to be a local church. But is anything else absolutely necessary? Jonathan Lehman goes on to answer that question by saying this, we need God's Word working through God's Spirit. Someone has to pick up a Bible, read it, and explain it. And when that happens, the Spirit begins to work in and upon the people's hearts, causing them to believe. And then those people repeat God's Word, that Word in their songs and in their prayers. They repeat God's Word to one another throughout the week. They help each other discern the will of God for their lives because of that Word. Their lives begin to be shaped by those words, and they begin to live differently from the world because of that Word. What was needed to grow the people? The Word. Working through the Spirit. And just a quick aside at the outset of this sermon, if you are not a member of a local church, I would encourage you, prioritize a church that thinks rightly about the place and the prominence of the Word. It really does set the pace for everything that happens within a local church. You want a church that is centered upon the Word and that is faithful to the Word. We could go through a list of things, even some of the things that we did. Take away the nursery, take away the programs, take away the instruments, the bulletins, the, the, the building. Those aren't bad things per se. But none of those things can secure, none of those things are the source of the church's life and the church's growth. And so with all the accessories that may accompany the ministry of a church... I wonder, what do we believe is most necessary in order to grow the people of God? And so my aim this morning is to hope, hopefully convince us that God's Word makes clear what the church needs in order to grow. And that is the Word to dwell richly within the church. And while that doesn't mean nothing else is helpful, it does mean that the Word must take priority in the church and among the church. The Word must be declared. The Word must be shared. The Word must be read. The Word must be preached. And perhaps you're sitting here thinking, hey, okay, I understand that it's good for me to hear the Word but isn't it more effective to kind of see, like I'm more of a visual person. Like I, 
I think if we could see something, that would maybe help us out. Uh, Maybe seeing something would allow the word to be better or more interesting, or maybe it would allow quicker results and it would do a better job of growing the church. I'm helped by what Pastor Mark Dever says. He says, we live in an age of the ear. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God withdrew himself from the sight of humanity. He he, he forbade anyone to make a representation of him. Moses only got to see God's back. Christ appears in the coming of God the Son, and and we're, we're not told what he looked like. And so while we wait, we wait in an age of the ear. We know God by what we hear of him. And good news, if you are in Christ, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, all of that will one day change. Our faith will give way to sight. We will behold the God that we treasure. Until then, we have the privilege of hearing from him, of beholding him as his word is read and taught, and shared, and sung, and prayed, and preached. God grows Christians, and God grows churches through their ears. If you are a kid and you want to draw a picture, just draw a picture of a church with big ears. God has graciously given his word to be the agent of growth in the hands of his spirit. Uh, You can have confidence that anytime you hear the Bible opened, uh, uh, anytime you, you hear it read as it's opened and explained correctly, that God is speaking to you. And this is what the word also makes clear. That when the, when the word dwells richly in you, it spills over into every part of who you are. It echoes from you. It reverberates off of you and from you. And that's the picture that God's word shows of the word taking root in the life of the church. It, it doesn't just come and it's not just some static reality that sort of sits, sits with us and doesn't move us, or just sits with us and stays. No, it reverberates among members across ministries. And so this morning, we've reached the last week of our short sermon series on prayer. Coming into 2023, we believe that God would be honored and our church would be strengthened if our commitment to and our practice of fervent, persistent, and expectant prayer increased in 2023. And just because we're moving on from the sermon series next week doesn't mean that we hope these realities and this challenge ends. We want to be a church that takes discernible steps forward, growth in grace this year, as we commit ourselves to fervent, expectant, persistent prayer. And so it's our prayer that is we remember the desire that we have at the outset of this year. So all throughout the year. So it's our hope that sometime in the month of June, as we're talking about our desires and our hopes to grow as a church in prayer, that we would recall even this sermon series. We began with the expectation of prayer and the pattern of prayer. And so even just thinking, we want to grow this year as a church in prayer. Think back to the sermon series, When You Pray. So there's, there's a pattern of the kind of prayer that we pray. There's an expectation that we would be a people of praying. But what is it that we're praying for? Last week, pray for the spread of the gospel. And, and not merely make it a matter of prayer. Make it a matter of prayer and then beg the Lord to use you to be an answer to that prayer. And then this week. So not just that the word would be effective going out from us, but the word would dwell richly in us. And it would grow us, and it would shape us, and it would change us, and it would transform us one degree of glory to another. 
and that we would understand that that's not merely solo projects. This room isn't full of people who are supposed to sort of have a homework assignment of going and making sure you don't copy and you don't work with anybody else and you don't look on other people's paper. No, this is a group project. The word is to dwell richly within us, and then that word reverberates among us. It changes us. And so that's our hope. That's, that, those are the ways in which God, we, we pray, God, would you be pleased to hear these prayers and to so answer these prayers? I just wonder what might the trajectory of covenant life be? And I, I, pray, I pray that the answer to this question has nothing to do with covenant life. I pray it has everything to do with the God who's worthy and glorious But Lord, what would it look like if this church really began to be a people that were fervent and persistent and desperate and expectant in their prayers? And God, you just began to be pleased to answer the prayers that are prayed for the spread of the gospel. And the prayers that are prayed for the word to to dwell richly among us. And so I'd like to ask God to grant us grace as we come to his word this morning. And so pray with me. Our Father in heaven, it's our earnest prayer that on this side of this pulpit, there would always be clear, bold, authoritative, faithful preaching of your word. And our prayer is that on the other side of this pulpit, there would always be a people who are eager to hear it, to love it, to receive it, to be changed by it. And Lord, we confess we are imperfect people full of all sorts of sins and doubts and struggles. And left to ourselves, we could do nothing of eternal significance. But we have your word. And we trust that your word has us. And so use us to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Do it on the backs of the prayers that we pray. Meet with us now. Allow us to behold wondrous things in and through your word. In the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. If you're unfamiliar with where Colossians would be, it's going to be in the New Testament, so towards the right of uh, uh, in the Bible. If you find Colossians, you can find the larger numbers at the corner of the pages to be the chapter number. So Colossians chapter 3, 3 is the chapter number. The smaller numbers kind of verse by verse, those are the, uh, those are the verses, and uh, we'll be at verse 16. We stated last week that this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae really does center on Jesus. There's some form of dangerous teaching coming from the outside of the church, and Paul is writing, pleading with this church, pleading with these believers. This is a church he didn't plant. He's pleading with these believers, look unto Jesus Remember who Jesus is. Remember what Jesus has done. And as you remember Jesus, this isn't just some some theological lecture. It's not just some doctrinal matter. No, this is to have implications in how you live out your life. Most of chapter 3 in in Colossians are various instructions on how to live the Christian life particularly in how to eliminate sinful behaviors. Paul spends a lot of time here talking about putting off these vices. See that in verses 5 through 11. And then you get to verse 12, and Paul calls these Christians to put on Christ-like virtue. And so if you're going to take off that which is not honoring to Christ, then be diligent to put on that, that which does honor Christ. And this sort of culminates, verses 12 through 17, it culminates with this capstone of loving one another in verse 14. And so beyond everything you put on, put on love. And in verse 15, and the peace of God, 
Let it rule your hearts. And so Paul is writing to say, look unto Christ. And if you look unto Christ, it will change how it is that you live. And that's when we, hit, uh, we reach verse 16 this morning. We'll consider two truths about verse 16 that I trust will give shape to the sermon. And we'll begin with the first truth. Number one, the word dwells richly within the Christian. The word dwells richly within the Christian. Look again just at the first half of verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. The word of Christ. It's the only time it's used in the Bible. It's not the word of the Lord. It's used a few times. The word of God used many times. Word of Christ. There seems to be several layers as to what is this word of Christ. Well, I think we can say that this word of Christ would include the message about Christ. So we could say that what is the word of Christ? In part, it's the gospel. And so one of the means by which, uh, or one of the things that ought to be dwelling within us is the gospel. Christians should, be, should not be people who get into the Christian faith through the gospel, by the gospel, and then put the gospel aside and only share the gospel with others, but sort of go to, to more advanced matters in the Christian life. No, we are sustained by the gospel. We grow by the gospel. We are to be centered upon the gospel. And so the word of Christ means the message about Christ. It also means the words of Christ. So we think about what it is that Jesus has said. You go back and read the Gospels, and what do we find? We find Jesus' words. And so as we think about what is this word of Christ that's to dwell in us, we are to, we are to, to know the Gospel. The Gospel is to dwell deeply within us. But then also, what is it that Christ has said? Or what about the teachings? The word of Christ also means the teachings about Christ. And you would think, okay, so then how do I go through and make sure that certain verses that teach me about Christ are included? What about the other verses that don't? Good news. All the verses teach us about Christ. That's what Jesus even said when he revealed himself in Luke chapter 24. After his resurrection, Jesus, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, explained to them the things concerning him, concerning himself in all the scriptures. And so what is it, what is Paul referring to when he's referring to the word of Christ? He's referring to the gospel. He's referring to the teachings of Christ himself. He's referring to the teachings which point to Christ, which would be all of the Bible. And so the word all of it, all of the beauty that that phrase captures, the word of Christ, that's what is to dwell within you. That's what's to, to dwell within every individual Christian. Paul uses this unique phrase to emphasize the supremacy of Jesus to a church that's being exposed to false teaching. That false teaching was seeking to deny Jesus of his rightful place. And Paul says, no, no, no. Let everything about Christ, let all of the richness that's in the word dwell within you richly. The gospel, the scriptures, those are to dwell within all Christians and dwell Think about what the word dwell means. Dwell implies living in the word. Dwell means we live in the word that the word might live in us. Dwell carries with it a sense of permanence. Spurgeon, when preaching on this passage, made the statement, encouraging his congregation to be Men and women of sound doctrine, he said, visit many books, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Visit many good books, but dwell in the scriptures, dwell in the word. 
And, and notice how the word is to dwell within each Christian richly. Richly suggests that it's not superficial. Richly suggests that it's not just sort of a, a passing by, but it should be deep, contemplative, so that it can bring about the, trans, the transformation in the life of every Christian, but also the transformation in the life of the church. And so just want... If your current practice is to rush through exposure to the word, it should not surprise you that the word doesn't dwell richly in you. Marinate there. Just sit in there like a tea bag in hot water and just allow your life and your soul and your heart to be richly enveloped by God's Word. Spurgeon says also, all human books grow stale after a time, but with the Word of God, the desire to study it increases. The more you know of it, the less you think you know of it. <laughs> Spurgeon said, this book is the book that grows on us. I wonder this morning, is the Word dwelling richly within you? I'm not asking, do you read it and then an hour later have forgotten about it? But is it dwelling in you? And this is where Bible reading, this is where Bible memorization is so important because the aim is that the Word would dwell in us. That we would hide it deeply in our hearts. Psalm 119.11, why? That we might not sin against the Lord. And so Covenant Life Church, join us in praying this year that the word would dwell richly in you and that it would dwell richly in this church. Fight to ensure that the word of Christ dwells in you and in us richly. Not meagerly, not momentarily. Don't just sip on the word, but drink it deeply. Taste it, savor it. I can remember growing up and watching TV and Gatorade having a marketing little tagline. And they would say, is it in you? And they would show a, a video clip of Michael Jordan playing basketball. And you were left just going, no, <laughs> it is not in me. LeBron, it's probably in most of us. But Jordan, not in me. That was for Frankie. That was for Frankie. And so this morning, is it in you? I mean, is it dwelling richly in you? That's the question the church is to be asking one another. And that's the question, or that's the issue that we should be persisting in prayer to see accomplished in the life of this church. And this may sound like a good plan. Uh, maybe you're here and you're thinking, okay, uh, okay, I, I hear it, but I'm just not convinced that of all the things to dwell within me, God's word is the best. Uh, maybe in answer to the question that began the sermon of what is needed, maybe you're not convinced that God's word is what is needed. Maybe you think, yeah, God's word is good to have, but we need other things as well. And so I just want to ask you, what is it that you're going to dwell upon that's going to offer you anything even remotely close to what the Word does and is? Nothing. There may be this similar impulse to just say, well, I don't know if, I don't know if what's needed for health and for growth and for seeing the lost converted to Christ is the Word of God. I just want to remind you this morning of the inexhaustible treasure that is the Word of God. God created with His Word. Genesis chapter 1. I, I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 33, 6, looking back at Genesis chapter 1. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. We understand that the universe, the worlds were created, were produced by the word of God. 
me just ask you a question. As we think about what is the Word of God, as we think about the Word of Christ dwelling richly in us, why would you not want something as powerful as this residing within? But God didn't just create by His Word. He sustains with His Word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. Do you remember when Jesus stands up, when the, when the waves are so rocking the boat and, and all of those that were on the boat were afraid, thinking that our life is about to end and Jesus is asleep and Jesus stands up, Mark chapter 4, verse 39, and says, peace be still. And, and all of the, the particles and the atoms and the elements of nature stilled. He sustains and he upholds with his word. God's word also establishes the relationship that he has with his people. Romans chapter 4 verse 17. He gives life to the dead. And he calls into existence the things that do not exist. The power of his word Peter would remind Christians that were scattered in exile that they had been born again through the living and enduring word of God, 1 Peter 1.23. Think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. When God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How? For God who said, he said it. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing. And all of these things are true because of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Do you believe this about the word? Do you believe that the word has the power still to give life? Do you believe that the word is that which is holding all things together? Do you believe these things? Do you believe that people are brought into relationship? All of those whom the Lord calls will come. It's his word. His word is powerful and it's effective. And the crazy thing is that powerful, effective word can be understood and access and, and accessible to you and to me. The word imparts life. The word is living and it's active. It imparts life. It's as if the word has hands and feet and climbs all over us, working its way into our hearts and our conscience so as to not be dislodged. The word is active. It's effective. I'm helped to just even think about what the Lord says in Isaiah 55. Verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I have sent. This is a strong assertion about the effectiveness and the power of the word of God. And, and, and the context is about a gracious, loving God calling a wicked people to return to the Lord. In verse 7, that, that, that's clearly what's happening. The Lord is saying through Isaiah that there is this compassionate, gracious call that, that the Lord is making to a wicked people to return to the Lord. It is scandalous for God to say that he might have compassion on the wicked and pardon for the sinners. And in verses 8 and 9, what the Lord says is you are incredulous at this. 
You're incredulous at the fact that I have called wicked to return to me because you are not like me, because my ways are not like yours. You wouldn't be gracious to people like this. And the Lord says, let me tell you how and why I can, because I'm not like you. My ways are not like your ways. My pardon will take effect. My word of forgiveness will be effective. Why? Because every time my word leaves my mouth, every time my word goes forth, it will not come back empty-handed. The Lord, through Isaiah, is intending to convince the listener that God's word can do what we think is impossible. If you were just to walk through the Gospels, what you'll find is that there's two places where we hear of Jesus marveling or being amazed. Like, what, what is it that would make Jesus marvel? Matthew chapter 8, verse 8, Jesus meets the centurion who's got a servant who's sick. And Jesus marvels. The centurion says, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Verse 10, now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. What is it that makes Jesus marvel? It's the centurion's understanding that Jesus' word had the power to accomplish whatever he said. That Jesus didn't need to touch the servant. Jesus didn't need to visit the house but, it, but the word on its own had the power to achieve the purposes for which Jesus intended. Oh, that Covenant Life Church would believe that. That deep down in the, the essence, the deep recesses of our hearts, we would believe that God's word will accomplish what it is that he has set forth to do and if we believe that, that we would be as generous as we can getting the word out. Lord, I don't know what you want to accomplish in this brother's life, in this sister's life, but I just want to get the word out. I want the word of Christ to get out of my mouth so that it would take effect and it would, it would change and transform both me as the speaker and he or she as the receiver. I mean, in 2023, we might be saying to ourselves, I, I, we get it. Right When Jesus was here, the word, yes, it had power. But we're some 2,000 years removed from the New Testament and even further removed from the Old Testament. Uh, maybe after all this time, just maybe the word is beginning to lose its power. Maybe instead of it being this massive ray of blinding light, now all that's left is a dim light. Maybe we're tempted, and I believe if we go back to how we... How in the world do we grow the church that's standing in a field? Like if, if we run first to other accessories and we neglect the primacy of the word, I just wonder if the heart posture of the church today isn't kind of like, man, poor old tired word. John chapter 5, verse 25, Jesus is locking horns with the Jewish leaders. And he makes this statement, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And so Jesus stands and he's saying to these people that are disagreeing and not believing him that I have the power just in what I speak to bring life from death. John chapter 11, verse 43. Just a few chapters later, Jesus moved with compassion, standing before the tomb of Lazarus. 
calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And do you remember what Lazarus said? No, I'm good, Lord. No, he didn't say that. He came forth. He was dead. And he came forth. Why? Because the word of Christ is effective. Christian, think about your conversion. You came to faith through the word. Christian, think about why you're still a Christian today. The Spirit working the word in and through your life. That's what James tells us. James chapter 1, verse 18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Verse 21, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the words implanted, which is able to save your souls. And so still by his word, he's bringing people to faith and he is sustaining and strengthening people in the faith. This is the word that we want to dwell within us richly. This word is living and it's active. This word leads to joy. This word can keep us from sinning. This word offers counseling. This word seeks to guard us against self-seeking. This word gives us hope. This word grants us freedom. This word comforts in affliction. This word gives us something to sing about. This word is an anchor of truth amidst a sea of lies. It allows us to be an example to others. It offers us hope while we wait. It sustains us during hard seasons. It's life-giving. It gives wisdom. It gives understanding. It lights the path that we should take. It keeps us from falling into the enemy's traps. It's a shield around us. It helps us to know the character of our God. It helps us to experience the faithfulness of our God. This word gives us peace. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning, and you hear this and you think, I just don't know if I believe that about God's Word. I would ask you, what do you believe about God's Word? And maybe like your opinion on Jesus, I just want to tell you, there's no middle ground with the Word. It's either true or it's an intricate web of deception. It testifies to itself as being true, as being the word of God. And if you're not a Christian this morning and you just say, I'm just unsure about God's word, can I just invite you to find one or two people to read God's word with? And if I could just encourage you at least Ask one of those few people to be a Christian and just have conversations as you read. What is it that you think the word is saying? What is it that the Christian believes the word is saying? What are the differences? And if you would say, I don't know if I know any Christians to have the conversation, please let reach out to anyone in this church. We would be glad to read God's word with you. But if you read it, let me just tell you what you will find. You will find that salvation is the great theme of the word. I mean, the storyline that runs from cover to cover is that God created all things, Genesis 1 and 2. Man fell or ruined that creation in Genesis 3. And then God in great love and mercy put forth a plan to redeem to make right, to restore that which was broken. Genesis 4 through Revelation 20. That's right, 1,184 chapters of the story of redemption. And the Bible ends with consummation, Revelation 21 and 22. God is going to succeed in the purposes that he has set out to accomplish. And the reason that that storyline is good news for you if you're not a Christian is because the way in which God will redeem is not requiring good people, uh, bad people to be just good enough. Not requiring good people to be perfect. They can't be. Not by requiring people to go to church enough or just to be religious enough. 
And each of the gospel accounts in that storyline, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it culminates in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It culminates in this story of victory that comes through defeat, this story of triumph that's found in tragedy. I mean, the Bible tells us that in our sin, all of us are sinners, and that in our sin, sin is lawlessness, but because of the sinless life of Jesus, because of the death of Jesus, because of the resurrection of Jesus, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. There's hope for you this morning in the storyline of what is contained in this word, in the message about who Christ is and what he's done, because he's done for you what you could never do perfectly obeyed and lived to the glory of the Father. You can't do it, and Christ has done it. He's given us, or he's given himself to die a death that's deserving of of wrath because of sin. Not sin he committed, but sin that would belong to his people. The ones they committed. And in victory, in triumph, he rose from the dead on the third day. It's the only way to have hope in this life and to have hope beyond the grave. And so I plead with you this morning, if you are not a Christian, turn from your sinful ways and trust in the work of Christ alone. The Bible has been preserved that you would know this God and you come to know this God by trusting in that message. And you can today. Talk to anyone in here about what that means. But the word of Christ dwelling richly in the Christian will lead then to the second truth. And that's the word reverberating among the church. The word reverberates among the church. I just want us in these in the back half of this verse to just capture that to, to get the picture that we are praying for this year. So verse 16 again, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word that dwells within richly will overflow into teaching and admonishing and singing with thankfulness. And so here's the thing. If if you find yourself not teaching anyone about the things of God, if you find yourself not admonishing anyone about the things of God, if you find yourself just not singing with a heart of thankfulness, right? The issue isn't a singing problem. The issue isn't a teaching problem. The issue isn't an admonishing problem. The issue is a, the word of Christ dwelling richly within us problem. The word that dwells within us then reverberates. It echoes out from us. And so one of the ways you can tell if the word is dwelling richly within individual Christians and within local churches is their commitment to teach. To instruct others in knowledge. Is the word of God central in this Christian's life? Is the word of God central in the life of this church? Do the pastors preach the word? Is the word faithfully taught and consistently taught throughout the ministries of this church? But don't don't just stop with a, a look into the leadership. Look at the members. Are they studying this word? Are they explaining this word? Are they they discussing this word? This is why Sunday mornings are most important for us as a church family. If you're not in the habit of making Sunday gatherings a priority, I I would admonish you to do this. This is where we gather around the word. The word sort of setting the pace from this place, not the only place, but it sets the pace as a church family that we then walk out and the word begins to echo from our lives and reverberate to others. And so make it a priority to be under the word. Covenant Life Institute kicks off in a few weeks. You have the opportunity to gather and to study the word of God with fellow Christians. And so we want to instruct, we want to teach 
But the word reverberates not just in the teaching ministry, but also in the admonishing ministry. Admonishment is warning, instruction, rebuke of one another as it's needed. And so we study to know the word and then we study to allow to look at others' lives around us and to say, man, I want to teach you or at times I need to admonish you. I don't want to teach you what I think. I don't want to admonish you with what I think. I want to teach you with the word and I want to admonish you with the word. Earlier in the, in the letter of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, those two words, admonishing and teaching. We proclaim him, Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Do you know how Christians are going to be presented complete? It says they, as they have received the teaching and the admonishment of the word of Christ. And so when the word of when the word dwells richly in you, you likewise begin to take up a responsibility for other Christians to see them complete in Christ. So let me just ask you, if we were to sit down and have a conversation and say, who is it that you are taking responsibility for that they would be complete in Christ? Knowing that you can't complete anyone in Christ, but you can teach and instruct and admonish and encourage with the word that does that work. Who are you taking responsibility for? That kind of understanding should inform why we gather on Sundays as often as humanly possible together. But it also should inform why you attend a community group or other ministries that will place you in close proximity to other members. I mean, again, it's the thought of thinking, I not only need to receive, right? I not only need to be taught, and so I need to be around Christians that are opening the word, but I also have a responsibility to teach and to admonish. And so oftentimes I, I can get discouraged and say, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to go to this because I don't know if I'm going to receive anything. And if I don't think I'm going to receive anything, that's a great opportunity for me to go and to give something. Or I say, I don't know if I want to go to this thing because I don't know if I can give anything. That's okay. That's a great opportunity for me to go and to receive teaching and instruction and admonishment. And so is it your aim, brother and sister, to allow the word to reverberate from you into the lives of others so that they may be complete in Christ? Church, that's God's good design. Paul says that this word reverberates in the church through our teaching, through our admonishing, but he also says it, it reverberates through our singing. God deserves our singing. He deserves our praise. He commands us to sing. Psalm 47, verses 6 and 7. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. So not only does God deserve our singing and our praise, he commands us to sing and he desires our singing and our praise. The word dwelling within us doesn't merely stay within us. It begins to spill out into our public life before God and our commitments to one another and our conversations with one another and our songs with one another. I mean, singing helps us to remember the word. Singing helps that word to dwell richly within us because it sets truth to music and allows us to recall truth. When we sing, we're, we're not merely a collection of individuals praising God. We are that, but not merely that. We're also a community that's addressing one another. Something significant happens when people sing together. Our singing binds us together. And so, Christian, you have the great privilege of worshiping in song. And in that song, blessing and encouraging brothers and sisters, even while you bring glory to God. And so teach and admonish 
and sing from the word. Teach and admonish and sing about the word. Teach, admonish, and sing for one another. And teach, admonish, and sing unto the Lord. If we give ourselves to the word dwelling richly in us this way, and we give ourselves to all of the one another's that then flow from that, just imagine what the Lord might see fit to do in 2023. And so 2023, we want to pray that the word that we believe, uh, we, we want to pray believing that the word that we believe in is living and active. And like we considered last week, we don't merely want to pray, Lord, allow the word to dwell within us richly and then look to others to allow the answers to that prayer to be answered. No, no, we want to say, Lord, allow the word to dwell within us richly. And then we want to begin by saying, okay, Lord, how do I commit to and discipline myself to be in your word, to intake your word. If you only have 10 minutes a day, don't neglect those 10 minutes. They're worth it. They're worth it because of how the Spirit always uses and accomplishes his word. The book that you hold in holding the word of God is not like any other book. It may take you five lifetimes to read something out of other books in order to be moved. It may take you five minutes to read something in and through the word and be changed forever. Don't neglect the living and active book. And so let's store up the word personally. And let's watch it then shape what we talk about collectively and what we pray about and sing about corporately. Do you want that? I pray we would want that. And so let's commit to praying for that. Tim Lane wrote, The ministry of the word doesn't stop with the preaching. It continues throughout the church. It continues through the discipling ministry, the children's ministry, the student ministry, the missions, the friendships, the families. All of it is informed by that word. And Jonathan Lehman puts it this way at another place in the book, Word Center Church. The preacher opens his mouth and he utters God's word. But that word doesn't just sound one time. No, it echoes. It reverberates. It reverberates through the church's songs and through the church's prayers. It reverberates through the conversations between elders and members, between members and guests, between members and members, between older and younger. The word bounces around the life of the church like a metal ball in a pinball machine. But the reverberating word shouldn't stop there. Because at some point, the doors to the building will open and the word should echo and reverberate out the doors. The word should reverberate into the streets. The word should reverberate into our homes and into our workplaces. That reverberating word is bouncing off walls in dining rooms, in kitchens, in children's bedrooms, off gymnasium walls, in cubicle dividers, inside car windows, through emails, through social media posts, through text messages, through phone calls. And God has promised that the word of God is sufficient to accomplish the work of God that has been set out in the plans of God to bring in and to build up the people of God for the glory of God. What if 2023 was the year that God did this in our midst, church? I want to see it. Then let's give ourselves to praying for it. Let's pray that the word would dwell richly within us and then reverberate wildly among us. Let's pray.